But good morning. Good morning, Two Rivers Church. My name is Jody Green. I am on the teaching team here at Two Rivers Church. My husband and kids have been the members here for four to five years, um, and really grateful that I get to be here with you today. My, I am married to Jeremy. He was the man playing Tasty Licks on the electric guitar back here. Yes, he is taken. Just know that. Um, I have two little boys, Corbin and Owen. They are six and four, and they are currently shooting a film from The Chosen down in, I don't know if you saw the movie set downstairs in the children's area. They're filming. It looks like a, it looks like a movie set. So I said, let's just say we're filming stuff down here, and then it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, and I also didn't get married until I was 32. So for most of my life, I was not identified by who I was married to and who I shoved out of my uterus. So that is... <laughs> little graphic for 8.30. Maybe I won't say that at 10.30, but we'll, we're not videotaping this one, so I can say whatever I want. Um, so, you know, sometimes that's weird. You're like, oh, that's who I am, who I'm married to, and who I fathered or child, you know. Nope. I was just me for a long time, and that was an adventure also. Um, but today we are talking about Isaac. If you were not here last week, um, Greg Hook, who's also on the teaching team, kicked us off. And basically, I can summarize. You could, you could go back and watch it if you weren't here. But I could summarize it basically by saying, if you read the Old Testament, it is like seeing a Yeti eating a ring pop walking under a double rainbow. And if you don't know what that means, you should go back and listen because then it will all make sense. But if you were not here and you're with us here today, we just want you to know this summer we are, we are doing a series, Abe to Dave, just like the video said, and it's a fun and simple survey of Old Testament people who played a major role in unveiling God's pursuit of all of humankind. There was a chosen family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. There was a chosen family that then led and became a chosen nation, which Jesus came out of making all of us a chosen people. And the more we can understand and see that, the more we can appreciate New Testament grace, what's happening as we read our Bibles. Um, and we just think that's really important. And the Old Testament, this whole book, it's a, it's a bunch of books. It's a family history. It's a, it's a list of songs and poems and tools for us to use when life is hard and difficult. It's a reminder of who we are. It's an explanation of who has come before us. Because if we've learned from history, we learn nothing from history, then we just repeat history. And we don't want to be those people. So we're going to read it. This is the Bible Jesus read. Everything Jesus said, all of his source material, everything he said came from the Old Testament scriptures, which are not old to the Jewish people. They're the Hebrew scriptures. It is the word of God. Everything he said came through that lens. So if you think that God was different before Jesus, that's just because we have misunderstood. Jesus actually came to write the wrong interpretations we had made of God and his word. And knowing that helps. It helps. Now, the reality is knowing a lot about God doesn't really mean anything. Like knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. My friends with disabilities who can't read are not less than because they will never read the Old Testament. Do you understand? It's not the knowing of God and the understanding of Scripture that does anything for us. But if you have the capacity to know and understand with all of the information that comes at us this, this day and age, if we don't have if we have access to this and we don't use this as a filter to look through what's coming at us, we, that's foolishness. It's just foolishness. So we're not trying to be foolish. We're trying to move towards people in love, in compassion, with the grace and love of Jesus and understanding the Old Testament actually equips us because a lot of people will throw shade at Christianity because of stuff in the Old Testament and they don't know what they're talking about. But the problem is a lot of times God's people don't either. 
So we're just trying to make a little, we're just taking a few steps towards that and understanding. And, and so there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot that's in the Old Testament for us. We want to make you curious so that if this is something you want to pursue more on your own, you can know how to get there. And you're like, oh, Jody studied this stuff and she knows stuff about the Bible, but I don't know any of that stuff, so what am I supposed to do? I don't know anything either. I just read stuff by people smarter than me, and then I spend time alone and ask God about it. So there's nothing magical about what all the teachers are doing. And so at the Get Connected table, we're just going to have a list of resources that we're using that you have access to too. Videos, books, commentaries, stuff that makes sense to me. I do not need systematic theology like Noah, thank you very much. I can't, I got two kids. I don't have brain processing time. I forgot my keys and a child, okay? I don't not, I can't always get there. I love studying that way. I used to do it a lot in my 20s when I was single and I had time. I loved it. I don't have time now. It's accessible to you. We don't want you to think that there's a reason you can't engage with the text in a way that brings it to life, in a way that suits you. So that is what this summer is about and what we want to do. And we want to reveal to you where Jesus is in the Old Testament text because he is everywhere. He is everywhere. Um, so this is what I'm inviting you to today. We're going to talk about Isaac and his wife Rebecca, how he followed Abraham in the lineage of the patriarchs. And what I, I'm sure I'd love for you to learn something cool. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that would be sure. What I want more than that is I want you to listen to some questions that I think God is asking his people through the text, and I think he might be asking us today too. So there's going to be a several questions I'm just going to pull out, and I just wonder if maybe there are some of these questions that he has for you that like pricks something in you that relates to what you're talking about that you can take with you because the point of gathering is to go. The point of a huddle in a sporting event is to make a plan and then go execute the plan. That's what church is about. Does the Lord have something for me, and what do I need to take with me as I go out today? So there's some questions that we're going to ask. We are going to learn some stuff. Hopefully, we'll laugh a little bit as we talk about this. Isaac means laughter. <laughs> Turns out, there it is on cue, laughter. He missed that one. That's okay. It's okay. You were on a retreat. You were fishing. You're getting back into it. It's fine. Um, so that's what we're going to do. Sound good? Wonderful. Woo! Oh, there we go. What's up, B-boy? Good to see you, man. Good, good kid. Okay, here we go. Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am not one of them, but some of you are. I am a woman. I was a daughter of Abraham. So just to be clear about that, that song sometimes on the wrong day can make me a little bit miffed. But not today. Not today. Abraham did have a lot of sons because he had a lot of women that he had sons with, okay? And one of them, though, was Isaac. Abraham and Sarah promised given to them that I will make you the father of many nations. Um, they tried to, like, take over and take control of the story and create sons in a different way, and the Lord says, no, I will fulfill this promise through Isaac. Sarah, in her old age, had a son, Isaac, and he said, this is the son that I will continue my promise to God's people through, Isaac. So we're going to start with Isaac's life. Isaac was born like so many of us were. Um, and he was in Beersheba. He was probably the first little kid on the eighth day to be circumcised. So Benjamin, you can ask your dad what that means. Um, we're going to 
we're going to look at him. He grows up in a family. There's probably some interesting things happening in this family. When he is born, his stepbrother, Ishmael, is, you know, he's a, almost a preteen kind of. And while Isaac is growing up, he watches his family kind of figure out what's happening there. Sarah gets angry. Ishmael makes fun of Isaac like brothers do, and she wants to kick them out um, and does, and they return. And there's probably a lot of things happening in the household. Um, around that. And then when Isaac himself gets to be a preteen, his dad invites him to go on a hike. And so they take a long walk to Mount Moriah where they, he said, we're going to do a sacrifice and build an altar. And, and Isaac is with his dad who has been teaching him and telling him about um, this God. And Abraham, you know Abraham was telling the story over and over again. When my, on my kids' birthdays, I like to tell them the story of, you know, like we were driving to the hospital and this is what happened and, and, and tell them the story of their birthday and what, what their dad and I were doing. And you know that that was happening. It's a very oral culture. Everything was passed down by word of mouth. So they're telling, he knew about God. He knew about all these things. They're on this walk and they get to the top of this mountain. They're building an altar. Where is this goat or this sheep or this animal we're supposed to sacrifice, dad? And his dad has been off the whole time. It's been a three-day walk and he's just been off. Something's wrong with dad. Something's up with pops. Um, and they get there. They took the long way. Um, and what was it like for him when his dad tied him up on the altar? Like, what would that have been like? Um, all around Isaac, all around him in the land that he lived were other religions where they were sacrificing children on the regular. Child sacrifice was not a new thing. It was not a new idea. It was not a foreign idea. It was a regular, normal thing. What would that have been like for Isaac with his dad? Um, I'm just clearly distressed, clearly upset, not understanding what was happening, getting to the point where just the point that it gets to where then the Lord stays. Because not only did Abraham hear the voice, I believe that so did the son. Stayed his hand. And the, the fervor with which he would, would have un, untied the knots and, and, and embraced him and held him. And, and then they catch the goat and the, they see the rams caught in the thicket. And they, and they go and they get it in the celebration and the, just the, oh. And I just, as I think about putting myself in Isaac's place and thinking about what that would have been like, I think deep down in his soul he would have started to believe, I think the God my dad talks about is different. I think he might be different than what I see around me. I watched what happened. It was like really a little crazy. The God might be a little, it's a little intense. Intense, yes, but different. He, he brought Hagar and Ishmael back into the house. He tried to reconcile. It says when Abraham died that Isaac and, um, Isaac and Ishmael buried him together. There was something that happened. There was some kind of reconciliation and to some extent. I don't know, but that happens to Isaac when he's 12. And they come back down. And how do you tell that story? I don't know, but they did. So then Isaac, he, he, you, his mom, we don't have a lot there. Sarah, his mom, ends up dying. And at that point, Abraham is like, my husband, my son needs a wife. So he sends his servant back to their family land. Um, and the servant is like, his name is Eliezer, and he is like, okay, well, I need to know which woman we're talking about. So the God of Abraham that I've heard so much about he had a faith too, but he's like, all right, I need someone who's going to give me water, and I need someone who's going to water some camels also. He had 10 camels. 10 camels that go to this well. Um, he doesn't even finish the prayer, and here comes a woman named Rebecca. Can I have something to drink? Sure. She goes, how about I just water your camels too? 
He's like, wow. I mean, that kind of immediacy on answered prayers is something I am looking for in my life. And she waters his camels, which if you know anything about camel watering in the Middle East, which of course I knew nothing about until I started the research, just because why is that relevant to my life? Ten, ten little of the buckets she's carrying, ten buckets per camel. Probably about a 15 to 20 step minimum down into the cistern and back. Ten trips per camel, 10 camels, 100 trips. She is like, I do not need to work out later. This counts. I got my steps in. I closed my rings. We are good. Great. She just grew up in a family with radical hospitality. She is a product of her environment. She did that. Eliezer's like, okay, I need to talk to you. Uh, He gives her some jewelry. He gives her some bling. She runs back. And what I think is interesting about this whole thing is that we're going we're gonna to zoom in on Rebecca after we finish Isaac's story because she's a pretty big player in this story. So anyways, Eliezer comes back with a wife. Isaac is out meditating in the fields, a man of pause, a man, a thoughtful man. There's no record of Isaac taking another wife, unlike his father and his sons. There's no record of it. Um, comes back in the field meditating, sees this woman, they get married, and it says that he, she brought him great, great comfort after the death of his mom. I'm guessing he was in the field grieving, grieving the death of a parent. And here comes Rebecca, and he helped comforts her. And then they try to start having children, and they can't. And for 20 years, she deals with infertility. Or does he? Isaac doesn't take any other wives. So could the problem have been him? It could have been. They're both praying, but 20 years later, she becomes pregnant with twins. Jacob and Esau are born. Um, And after that, Isaac's dad dies. Um, And the famine hits the land, and they start to travel. Abraham had to go all the way to Egypt during the famine. The Lord says, don't. Don't go to Egypt. He says this, actually. Specifically, it says, there's a severe famine. It says, the Lord appeared to Isaac and says, don't go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. The promise that was his dad now has become his own. I think there's a moment in time where all of us kind of step into things that we know are out there for other people, but is it mine? Is it mine? And God said, this is yours. You are a part of this. This is for you. He starts to build a bunch of wells. People keep taking them. He just keeps acquiescing the wells. Digs a well. Hey, great. We want it. Okay. Digs another well. Hey, we want it. Oh, okay. And digging a well is also a whole big deal that we can't get into. But if you want to learn about digging wells in the Middle East back then, crazy that they dug this many wells. Then the Lord comes. He's like, okay. He gets too powerful. The Lord is blessing him. Too much blessing. Too many goats and sheep and livestock and people and stuff. Too much the leader of the area, the Philistines right there, Abimelech, he's like, get out of here. You're too powerful. So he's like, okay, but he's conflicted because the Lord said not to leave, but to stay there. But he leaves. The moment he shows up in the new place, it says, from there, Isaac moved to Beersheba, where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will bless you. I will multiply your descendants. They will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. Then Isaac built an altar there and worshiped the Lord. 
Isaac, is this for me? Is this promise? 20 years of infertility, like if I'm supposed to bless the same thoughts, cyclical generational thoughts, maybe it's not for me, maybe it's not mine. I'm not going to do what my dad did, though. I'm going to just let it play out. And my mom, we're gonna, we heard about that. We're just going to let it play out. We see over and over in Isaac's life that he did learn something from his dad. And he committed some of the same sins of his father. Aren't we all the same? Cutting some things off generationally, but also being like, oh my gosh, I think I just heard my mother when I said that. Like, Julie, where are you? That's my mom's name. Um, I am my mother on so many levels. But he got reassurance from the Lord. The Lord speaks a blessing. This is your promise. And then he moves, and it's like, I wasn't supposed to move. And the night he shows up, the Lord appears. He says, okay, I'm with you. Do you need some reassurance today? Do I need some reassurance today? Do I believe that I follow and serve a God who wants to reassure me? Do you need reassurance today? Is that a question maybe that the Lord wants you to engage with him on around what's going on in your life at this time, in this place? They stay there. He continues to be blessed. Jacob and Esau grow up. His wife pulls one over on him. He blesses the wrong son. I'm sure Jason will tell us all about that next week. It'll be magical, the way that he makes it come alive and ties it to something. Jacob and Esau, his wife, tricks him to giving the wrong blessing to the oldest son. If you want to read about that encounter, I highly recommend it. Um, and, then, and then the next account we have is that um, Isaac dies at 180 and it says his brothers bury him together next to his wife and his parents. And that is the life of Isaac. Do you need reassurance from God today about something that the Lord has told you or you think he's saying? Now, Rebecca, okay, here's what I want you to start doing to Rivers Church. It rolls off the tongue really well. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's what we have in the scriptures. When we quote scripture, it sounds really great. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But let's get something clear right off the bat. He's also the God of Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. I write it in my Bible. I'm like, the God of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, and Rebecca, Jacob, Leah, and Rachel, complicated. Oh, whatever. You can talk about it. Um, and so <laughs> giving you a lot of things to cover next week. He is the God of Hagar, who he saw. He is that. And it's okay is it okay? It's true that because of the culture and the ways of things that sometimes the narratives of women were um, allowed to evaporate. Um, we are not going to let Rebecca evaporate out of this narrative this morning. Of all the matriarchs, she gets the most action verbs. She gets a lot of airtime in the scriptures in her lifespan. And I think we should pay attention to that. We should pay attention to the fact that Rebecca has a lot comparatively to other matriarchs, a lot of airtime here. So I just want us to think about, we just heard about Isaac's arc of his life. Let's think about Rebecca. Let's think about it from her perspective. Um, her story starts when she's just getting water, and she is just getting water like she did probably, I don't know how many times a day, how thirsty you get in the Middle East, probably pretty thirsty. Um, and she's getting water, 
she waters this guy's camels, and then she probably had done it before. I guarantee you this wasn't the first time she had been generous with her time and energy. Guaranteed. You don't just become someone when it matters. You become someone in the day in, day out choices to become someone. She was becoming someone, and that person was used by God. So she waters this guy's camels, and then she gets like a K-jewelry expose. She's like, woo, here's all this stuff. Here's a nose ring. Here's some bracelets. Cha-ching, yay. By the way, I was praying that someone would come and water my camels, and that person was supposed to be my boss's uh, husband's uh, son's wife. So how do you feel about that? And she's uh, she, like, well, why don't you come back? She invites him in. She doesn't ask for permission to invite him home. She refers to herself in a matrilineal way in terms of like we're in a patriarchal society. You identify by your father, which is great. She says, I am the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah. She, their household is identified by the mother. She doesn't ask for permission to bring them home. She goes, yeah, we have room. And my brother Laban, he'll make some, he'll make arrangements. Come on, come on home. And then he tells them the whole story. The mom and the brother are like, hey, yeah, you could, what do you think? Let's ask her. They ask her what she thinks. They don't send her. Hey, you, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I'm ready to go. We want you to stay for 10 more days. She's like, no, I'll go now. I'm good. I'm good. Takes her posse with her, and off they go. They're driving, they're riding along, and there's this man walking around. And she's like, who's that? She doesn't know it's Isaac. She could be still on the prowl. She's still not married. She's not had two rings yet. I don't know. We don't know. But she's like, who's that? They're like, oh, that's actually the guy we got you for. She's like, great. Hops down, puts on her little bridal veil, comforts him. And it says, unlike anywhere in Abraham's account, it said Isaac loved her deeply. Isaac loved her deeply. And they go through this fertility thing together. Um, I guarantee you Isaac wasn't the only one praying for their children. It says, Isaac prayed and the Lord answered. I'm like, yeah, and I bet Rebecca was praying too. And why do I think that? Because Rebecca gets pregnant. She has twins. She doesn't know. No sonograms back then. She's like, ah, something is happening. This feels, never been pregnant before, but I don't know what's happening. And it says this. This is so good. So she went and asked the Lord about it. Because she's like, I handle my business, okay? I'm a woman, I handle my business, I have a relationship with God, what is happening here? So she goes to ask the Lord about it. She's like, why is this happening to me? Which if you've been pregnant, you've asked that question. Why is this happening to me? And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations, which for her, she's like, sons, plural, excuse me, ah, rewind. I didn't really, okay. Um, one nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. See, earlier when Rebecca left, we also have one of the only document, not only, there's very few, there's a handful, you can look those up too, of written down blessings over women in the Old Testament. There's not a lot of them, so we should pay attention to the ones that are recounted. And when Rebecca leaves, her household says this of her. They say, our sister, may you become the mother of many millions. May your descendants be strong and conquer the cities of their enemies. She has been blessed by her community. She has been blessed and spoken to by her God. She has an active relationship with the God of Rebecca. With the God of Rebecca. She goes to the Lord for a prophetic word because there is something physically going on with her and she is nervous and she is worried and she doesn't know. She needs some reassurance. Is there a physical, emotional, or spiritual struggle that you need a word about today? Is there something going on in your life, in the life of someone you love, physically, emotionally, spiritually, that you need a word about today? If you need it, go get it. Do not let the worries and cares of this world choke out the word of life that is planted in you that can save you. Go get it. I don't know how. 
ask for help. Rebecca knew how to get it. She went and got it. At this point, after her sons are born, her, somewhere along in there, they move around. They're building all these wells. They have to move around. You, if you've ever went on a vacation with children, you know who tends to sometimes to potentially do a little bit more of the preparation for those trips. Sometimes, potentially, on occasion, sometimes the moms do a little bit more on those in packing and getting ready. Sometimes, not every time, but sometimes the moms do 51% of that versus the 49%. Sometimes. And maybe that was Rebecca's case. When they're moving around from well to well, and she's got these twins, and she's trying to figure all this stuff out. There's a famine. Just like his dad, Isaac goes to this new place, and he's like, my wife is hot. I don't want to get murdered because of that. Just tell him you're my sister. So he does pulls a play from the old Papa's playbook, and the guy finds out. He's like, why are you doing this? You could have totally worked one over. Please don't do that. And he tells everyone, don't mess with this. We're not doing this. Um, Esau marries a couple of women she doesn't like, so she acquires some daughter-in-laws who are hard for her, which any mother of sons always is worried about that and living that. I don't know. She's like, okay, this isn't working great. Um, and then behind the scenes, she gets pegged often as a conniving woman because she is working behind the scenes at every moment for Jacob. She favors Jacob. Abraham favors Esau. Um, she convinces and figures out a way to get Esau Jacob his birthright, which is a big deal. If you want to learn about that, you should. And then she has Jacob make some stew, put on fur, get in a costume, and go in. So Isaac, on his deathbed, who can't see very well, blesses Jacob with the blessing of the firstborn, which, can't you just take it back? Well, can't you just take it back? No, because back then, words were power. Right now, in our day and age, words mean nothing. Back then, words were power. You cannot retract. You cannot take back. And then it causes some problems. Esau wants to, is not happy about it. She realizes what's happening, but she doesn't want Jacob to marry women like Esau did, so she sends him off, and she convinces Isaac to do it by telling him something else. I don't want Jacob to marry these other women. You should send him to my brother. When really, she knows Esau's so furious that he wants to Cain and Abel him, and so they go. She's working everybody over, all right? The woman is getting what the woman wants, and we can be really critical of that. But Lord help me if someone ever excavates my life 2,000 years from now and starts to judge every decision they saw me make. So we're going to be kind. When we're looking at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, for sure we got to be kind. Um, in these places, what would you do if you were a mom and the Lord had spoke to you and said, Jacob is going, Esau's going to serve Jacob, and you watch it play out for 40 years? What would you do if you knew the Lord had told you that? And you knew God, and you had an active relationship with God. you got to remember that. The Lord had spoken to her about her sons, and whether her methods were on the up and up, he had spoken, and she believed him. So we have to remember that when we think about this mom and how she's dealing with her sons. So and I have two sons also, so this it, it also is really hard for me. To, to the favoritism stuff can be, can be really tough. Um, but we need to look at Isaac and Rebecca. From the very beginning, God's faithfulness, depends on his, God's faithfulness depends on his faithfulness to us. Does it say Abraham was obedient and it was credited to him as righteousness? Yes, but Abraham also did a lot of other bonehead things that were not credited to him as disrighteousness or unrighteousness. 
All through the scriptures, the promise depends on God's faithfulness to us. Jesus came while we were still sinners. It is true. Do you trust that your future depends on God's faithfulness or your own? Are you held in the palm of a God who is faithful to you, or are you trying to crawl and scrape and stay in good grace with the God of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Leah and Rachel? God's faithfulness is his faithfulness to us. It is not ours to lose. It is ours to receive. Do you trust that? Your future depends on God's faithfulness and not your own. So the last question we have, there's some takeaways that stood out to me in um, God's promises is one of them. Do I trust that? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. He is faithful even we are faithless. When things are highly emotional and intense and, and we have access to this scripture and we have the mental faculties to be able to engage it and read it, if we are not filtering our experience through this book, we are fools. And I'm not here to try to be a fool. We need to access what we have access to. And that is this book to know when things are crazy, we have got to filter our experience through the word of God because there is too much out there telling us to do it a different way. And the mark of God's people is their commitment and their faithfulness of God to them. And we have a record of it here. I need to be reminded again and again and again and again and again who God is and who he is to me. And like I mentioned before, one of the things that stood out to me is the narratives of women being allowed to evaporate. Um, it's, it, it's a thing, right? I am a woman, um, and it's, it's a journey. But not only women, there are lots of different groups of folks who maybe feel like they have been erased. I've mentioned several times my friends with disabilities. I work with people with disabilities. I have close, close dear friends who have disabilities. And if you start to do a performance-based theology, you're going to lose them immediately. There's a reason not very many people with disabilities go to church on Sunday morning. Because we're welcoming, but we don't actually make the space because we don't know what to do. And that's fine. Good intentions are really good for nothing. But we're working and moving towards being a space where we're like, hey, we don't only want you here, but when you're not here, we miss you. Right? And that's just different. And we're moving that direction. People with disabilities. And here, in a patriarchal, patriarchal, ugh, patriarchal culture, that happened with women. It just happens. Rebecca's death isn't even recorded. She doesn't even record when she died. We just find out later that Isaac was buried with her. That's how we know. And that's okay. I mean, it's not okay. It's just true. But what I love is that no matter what, we get to, we get to look at the lens of life and the lens of the scriptures through Jesus. Everything filters through Jesus. And what do we see Jesus do? We see Jesus reinvest and re-engage and retell the stories of women. The bleeding woman, he sat and listened to her entire story. He is anointed before his death by a woman, and it says this exactly about her. It says, wherever the good news is preached, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. He appeared to women upon his resurrection. And even by the time Paul was writing, they had already been erased, because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this, I'm not saying it was malicious intent or anything, I'm just saying it happened. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by 500 followers. Then he was seen by James and later on by all of the apostles. And you could say that, yeah, women were included in the 500. And some, you, Paul lists many women as his apostles. So we can say with pretty much confidence they were included in there. But who did he appear to first? Already by the time Paul was writing, just kind of like, yeah, he appeared to them. But, and it's not malicious intent. It's the lens that he had. And that's just something I notice. And it's okay if those are things you don't notice. That's why diversity of thought and perspective is really important in the house of God. So I wonder, because Matthew, Matthew and Paul, they all take huge strides forward. If we look at the arc of people in humanity, Matthew lists women in the lineage. Paul lists women as apostles and says, thank you for their help. Jesus' ministry was funded by women. Like, we need to know that the ark is this movement of re-inviting and retelling of the stories of women, which means everyone is being invited in. So is there a place where you have written yourself out of something that Jesus is inviting you back into? Is there a part of your story that you maybe have just kind of deleted that Jesus is maybe inviting you back to reconsider? Is there something you've disqualified yourself from that the Lord never disqualified you from? Is that a question that you need to ask yourself today? Because there is no place for favoritism in the house of God, and we see a lot of favoritism in our patriarchal stories and the matriarchal stories. And favoritism corrodes, corrodes a family. It's dangerous. And, it, it, and as a mom, I don't fully understand this, but I feel like even Rowan says um, that God said, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. And I'm going to show you how all of this, this is where Jesus comes into this. I think I have a picture of camels. No, I went the wrong way. Don't, that was a great video, but we don't want to watch it again. Camels. Cool. That's what they look like. In the words of the scriptures, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. This is all of the slides we're about to see are pulled directly from Romans 9 through 11. Go read the entirety of it. All of this you're about to see is directly from the scriptures in the word of God. I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Are we saying then that God was unfair? If I'm Rebecca, I'm saying God picked my side. Ha ha. He sided with me because I love Jacob, Esau, whatever. And as a mother with a mother's heart, I can't understand that fully, but my kids are also little, so who knows what happens as they grow up. <sighs> of course not, the scriptures say. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose. I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. So you can spend a lot of time worrying about this, or you can just say, oh, that question actually has been answered here we go. Well, then you might say, okay, that question's answered. Well, then you might say, straight from Romans, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? That's a great question. No, don't say that. Scripture. Hey, you're, th you're thinking that? You're wondering that? Don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? God has the right to show his anger and his power. He is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, which is not true for me. 
They are prepared for destruction because he and his sovereignty and his kindness and compassion is doing what only he can do. So what does all this mean? Scripture, tell me. I'd love to know. Even though the Gentiles, all of us, were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. For Christ already accomplished the purpose of the law, and as a result, all who trust in him are made right with God. Paul is saying, I'm an Israelite. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, Rachel, me. That's me. I'm one of them. A descendant. No God has not rejected his own people. He hasn't. Whom he chose from the very beginning. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. Abraham and the other patriarchs and their wives, I added that, and their wives were holy. (laughs) Their descendants will also be holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. I want you to understand this mystery. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will only last until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ. Listen, you can waste your time arguing with God and being offended by God at how he chooses to run things and the way things are shaking out, or you can read the scriptures, believe the scriptures, sit in the scriptures, and spend some time on some questions that actually matter to your life and your tomorrow. the Israelites. They are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors. I added some names in here too. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. God has bound everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on. Say it with me. Say it with me again. Everyone. Everyone. How great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Does it mean you don't try? No. It's not an excuse to be lazy. This is an explanation of what we are talking about. God made a promise to a chosen family that became a chosen nation that led to Jesus coming and choosing all of us. And we can waste our time on questions that are answered for us in the scriptures. Do not waste your time finding answers to your questions. But when they're in the scriptures, believe them and move on to something that actually is affecting you. Camels. I just figured we'd want to see that again. So this is where we're landing the plane today. Which one of these questions is for you? Do I need reassurance from God today? Am I in a struggle that could use a word? Have I written myself out, but I'm being invited back in? Do I trust that my future relies on God's faithfulness to me, which in the scriptures is pretty rock solid? Jesus came because over the course of human history, we forgot about God's faithfulness to us. We can be passive in moments. Isaac had a series of passive moments. And that might be why his son Jacob went the other extreme. Isaac had some moments where he was very passive. But we can also be hyper-controlling, like we see in some places with Rebecca, trying to control the situation But we have also inherited their ability to have encounters with the living God and to be blessed in our pain, just like they were. Did they do it perfectly? No, and that's the point. The chosen family has nothing nothing to do with them and everything to do with the God who chose them, which is true for you. It is true for you. So will you start to ask the questions that actually will change what's happening on the inside of you, which affects the way you treat the people around you, which affects the person you're becoming? Rachel watered camels for a lifetime before she met Eliezer. Isaac was bound on 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 an altar by his father. 
and released by the hand of God before he believed and followed God for the rest of his life? What are the experiences that you have? What do you need to have today to continue to become the people of God that we are? Because this is our family history. This summer we are learning about our family history and everything that's promised to them is now promised to us because we've been grafted in as sons of daughters of a king because of Jesus in his mercy and grace who, while we were still sinners, died for us. So as the worship team comes back up, I'm going to pray. And I hope that there is a question here from the God of Abraham, the God of Sarah, the God of Isaac, the God of Rebecca, the God of Jacob and Leah and Rachel that stands out to you that you can take with you in your week, that you can take with you to the word of God to become someone who when the moment arrives will be ready to water the camels in the ways that God has been preparing you to do and that you'll believe that the God who chose you is on your side. In Jesus' name, amen.